Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a September 29th Thursday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Garcia-Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and the former Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back. It's training camp. It's so good to have basketball back in our lives, and there's been a lot of Blazers stuff to get to this week, whether it's Myers Leonard kind of inching closer to a return to the court, or whether it's Mason Plumley potentially talking, you know, talking about a potential extension between he and the Blazers. There's the fifteenth man battle. There's the starting lineup decisions that will need to be made at the end of this uh, month of training camp uh, with regards to the starting small forward position, but. Uh, and, and and somewhat tying into that is today's podcast. Uh, I had a conversation with Michael Pina. Michael is the Boston Celtics writer for Bleacher Report, also writes for Vice Sports, Real GM, Sports on Earth, has written for other websites like Grantland as well, uh, but has watched the Celtics closely over the last couple of years and uh, definitely has... Uh, a grasp on what Evan Turner can bring to a basketball team uh, and really saw that firsthand watching the Celtics closely last season. So we had him on the podcast to talk about Evan Turner and the potential impact that he could have on the Blazers this season based off of what he did for the Celtics last year with a little bit more depth. Uh, also, admittedly, maybe a little bit more of a positive outlook about Evan Turner considering I think that even, you know, my opinion is probably a little bit negative, and I think most of the opinions that I've run on this show are not um, are not necessarily negative, but they're not really high on Turner either, and I think that uh, Michael just brings a different perspective, and I think that's important to have, and uh, it was fun uh, chatting with him, chatting about the Celtics, chatting about the Blazers, of course, and, and Evan Turner, so uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael Pina. And I am now joined by a buddy of mine, and most importantly, why he's on this podcast today, uh, the Boston Celtics writer, the new Boston Celtics writer for Bleacher Report, Michael Pina, who's written for various websites, uh, including, you know, Grantland, uh, Bleacher Report last year. Uh, Thank you for coming on the pod, my man. 
Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, you cover the Celtics, and the reason I'm having you on the podcast is that I think that in a lot of ways the Blazers and the Celtics are kind of in the same place. Um, you know, one scored a little bit more uh, in free agency than the other one, but uh, the Blazers also signed a player that played for the Celtics last year, Evan Turner, which we'll get to. Um, but I really, you know, just find similarities in both these teams. You know, the Blazers really excel offensively. The Celtics really excel defensively. They both are anchored by talent in the backcourt. Um, and I think that both teams also have big men that, you know, cause problems for teams. Obviously, Al Horford is is a much more complete player. Uh, than any of the bigs the Blazers have, but I think Mason Plumley and Myers Leonard present their own problem, and Ed Davis as well. All present, you know, you know, a, a little bit of a problem for a lot of people. And Festus Zeely, if he's healthy, um, and I just think that both teams are on the come up. You know, I think they're both going to be in the conversation for a while because they're both very young. And uh, thank you for coming on. <laughs> Anytime, man. Yeah, I totally see the similarities you're talking about. I'm looking at the depth charts right now, and. You know, both teams have really kind of overstuffed front courts that uh, there's kind of a bit of a logjam. And like Ed, you mentioned, Plumley, uh, Myers Leonard, Ed Davis, Festus Azili, and then with the Celtics, there's Kelly Olinick, uh, Al Horford, Amir Johnson, uh, Zeller. But then what really it really gets interesting is both these teams will likely play small next year because they can. Swing up Aminu at power forward. Uh, Mo Harkless played power forward last year when uh, when Terry Stotts bumped him into the starting lineup for for Vonleh towards the end there, and they were very successful. And the Celtics have uh, Jay Crowder, who's a tremendous stretch four, I think, for small ball lineups, and Jonas Jerebko, who also had success in the playoffs uh, last year when when Brad Stevens wanted to go small. So. Uh, I think it, there's a lot of similarities here for sure, and there's kind of a little bit of a dichotomy, uh, as you uh, as you mentioned, with how Portland is more offensive minded with Lillard and McCollum and those guys, and they're a really good three point shooting team. And the Celtics love to shoot threes, but they don't have anyone who can make them, unfortunately, still. Uh, and they they were a top five defense last year, so that's kind of where they hang their hat. Yeah, I think uh, the Blazers could, uh, you know, they, I, I think there's a lot of also, you know, respect between the two teams. I, I can remember last year, you know, uh, CJ McCollum was asked at the end of the game that they had here, uh, you know, do you expect teams to kind of guard you, you know, it, like this going forward? And, you know, his response was, you know, but, you know, most teams are not the Boston Celtics. And so, you know, th- there's a lot of respect between these teams, too. Uh, you know, it was kind of, I wouldn't say a rivalry, but they had good games last year, uh, I thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the both both teams are going to play small, and that's really interesting. And uh, the Blazers are actually going to go with Aminu at four uh, for, to start this season. And so uh, I'm curious, you know, um, there's a lot of, you know, debate amongst you know, people who just watch are interested in the Blazers because nobody really knows right now. Terry Stotts is insane. So there's a lot of debate as to who, you know, might start at small forward. You haven't seen Evan Turner. What do you think um, is the best kind of course of action for the Blazers on how to use him? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would probably 
just looking at the Blazers lineup here, I would. I don't know if. They, do you think they could play Crab at the three in the starting lineup, and then they could get away with it? I think right. against against a lot of teams, but some teams definitely not. I think the 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 best way to use Turner would be off the bench, kind of as like a backup. Um, Backup like point point guard or a secondary playmaker off the bench, someone who can spell uh, Lillard and McCollum. I know McCollum played a lot of uh, minutes last year as the backup point guard, and you know he's he's he was much more effective last year uh, off the bench against bench units. When you look at those nylon calculus numbers, and his his effective field goal percentage was something like seven points higher against bench units, which. Uh, I guess that's not too surprising because he's going up against worse players. But his big thing is he can, you know, he can get to his spots, create his own shot, uh, create shots for teammates. And I was reading um, uh, Kevin Pelton's player profiles before we started to record, and he he had an interesting note comparing Turner to kind of uh, Andre Iguodala and that role that Iguodala's had with the Golden State Warriors as kind of a setup man for McCollum and Lillard, which I thought was really interesting. And I was digging into the numbers, and and Turner Turner's a pretty good post up player, and I, I think when they do play all those three guys together, Turner, uh, Lillard, and McCollum, I think uh, you know the defenses want to put longer, uh, bigger guys on uh, McCollum and Lillard and their best perimeter defenders. Uh, but if you put smaller guys on Turner, you can back them down and create some real problems. So. I I like the signing signing um, kind of in a in a vacuum and also uh, contextually uh, the money was uh, is obviously a lot so if you take the money away I really like the signing um, but, but I yeah think, uh, sorry to interrupt but I I do think you make a great point about the money just real quick just to focus <laughs> on like I I I think this deal honestly just because of the climate and i think because of what the blazers were like clearly targeting as far as like what they wanted to do after missing out on their first choices they just had to they had to fill this cap space cuz it wasn't going to be there you know they i feel like they felt like they had a gun to their head yeah that's a good point and um you know it's not deadly money i don't think there was there are too many players who you could give money to this or last summer and really have it cripple you, um, unless you're the Los Angeles Lakers. But <laughs> but um, Turner, you know, sixteen point three, seventeen point one, seventeen point eight. I mean, it's a lot of money for him, and he's coming off the best year of his career by far in a on a team that. You know, they've really needed him to have the ball in his hands at all times, and he can't have the ball in his hands at all times on on this team when uh, you have Lillard and McCollum, two guys who can shoot threes, which Turner cannot do. Um, they're better pull-up shooters uh, from the mid-range and behind the three-point line. So uh, I think it, unless you're willing to restructure your entire offense, uh, I don't know how much Turner will be effective uh, off the ball and uh, playing beside those two who and both of them play heavy minutes so I mean Terry Stiles has his work cut out for him but uh, I think it can work um, I'm not willing to totally rule rule it out as some have uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see 
Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he the the post up thing that you mentioned was really interesting um, about you know how they can kind of change the geometry of the floor if their three man can post up, which is something that you know none of their wings did with any success last year. I mean, except for Gerald Henderson, and I think you know maybe they're thinking that they can make something out of Evan Turner that was maybe better than Gerald Henderson. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, defensively that's maybe a wash. I personally think Turner is a superb defensive player after watching him the past couple of years in Boston. Um, and I think he's a much better passer than Gerald Henderson and someone who can, uh, get all the way to the rim, uh, get to the free throw line. Um, and just create own look, his own looks for himself without needing anyone else to set him up. So I, I think Turner's probably a better offensive player and maybe a better defensive player than, than Henderson. But, but yeah, that, that dimension is definitely something that I don't think Portland had last season. Yeah, um, I, I think they really did lack that that kind of they tried to make it mo harkless i remember at the beginning of the season they would throw him the occasional post touch and it would just it wouldn't go anywhere um and i I think they really learned that lesson pretty quickly and um you know it took them a year but they had gerald henderson to kind of you know help them tread water in a year where they were i mean in a year i mean let's all be real we all thought that they were just kind of using as an experimental year anyway um, you know, so it, they, uh, are, are really kind of the, the, their second unit is going to be the really interesting thing. I think that he should come off the bench. I think either crab starting or going back to the Harkless, uh, lineup that, you know, was so solid for them last season to, to end the season. Um, you know, I really think that Turner will still be best off the bench and, that he will help, you know, alleviate some, but the, the posting up is going to be really interesting to see. Um, and it, w- with regards to the Celtics, something that I'm interested in with them is I love, uh, Marcus smart. And, uh, <laughs> I, I wonder, is he going to start to, is, is there, a, do you see a situation where, I mean, are they going to play them all three together is he going to finish games? Are they going to go small every night? Or do you see a situation where, like, maybe, you know, Isaiah Thomas doesn't finish games and Marcus Smart does? Do you see that happening in the future? I don't see that that last scenario happening. I yeah. think I think Thomas is a, a critical player for them offensively still, even with Al Horford. And I think the Celtics will – I mean, their offense died last year when Thomas hit the bench. And so I think Stevens will have to stagger the minutes to have at least one of Horford or Thomas on the floor at all times. But, but getting back to Marcus smart, I think I definitely think you can play Thomas Bradley and smart together at the same time. And I think if you start this season with Amir Johnson as the starting power forward, because uh, Kelly Olenek is still uh, coming back from shoulder surgery. He might be the, the starting power forward before the season's over. But in the meantime, I think they're going to start Johnson. And what I think that they should do is take Johnson, uh, sub him out at the, about the seven-minute mark in the first quarter, bring in Marcus Smart, and immediately go small. And then have Johnson, Johnson be the backup center uh, for Horford later in the first quarter to start the second quarter. Uh, because I think... Even though Marcus Smart's uh, shooting, his shot 
percent from three point land last year, um, and that obviously cramps your spacing. But in a lineup with Thomas Bradley, Crowder, and Horford, I mean, those four other guys you can't leave wide open. So I think they have enough spacing, and I mean, all those guys really, except for Thomas, are plus defenders. And Smart and Bradley are probably the two, maybe the two of the best players at their position defensively on the ball. Uh, and they could both rebound pretty well. So um, I think going small is going to be the best uh, best option for this team. And that, that lineup I just said with Thomas Smart, Bradley Crowder, and Horford, it's probably their best five and maybe the five that closes things out for them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Smart, Marcus Smart, too. Uh, at Media Day, he talked a lot about uh, working on his jumper, working on his, his finishing around the rim, working on his uh, ability to make plays in the pick and roll and make better decisions. And that's really what the Celtics need from him because Evan Turner's gone. And Evan Turner was a huge uh, ball handler for them last season and, and, a, and a big playmaker. And they don't really have anybody else. It's smart. Um, you don't really want to put the ball in Avery Bradley's hands. He can't do it. Uh, Jay Crowder is not he's okay at driving to the basket but he doesn't really have that the vision that's necessary to be a kind of a big minute secondary playmaker for you and if you look down the lineup it's basically Terry Rozier and yeah that's about that's about it so Terry Rozier uh, legend of the Salt Lake of the Utah Summer League that he was that he was uh and they're really they're really high on him Al Horford used his name called him out uh media day to say he impressed him his athleticism impressed him don't you love training camp i love yeah i love it man it's so much positivity (laughs) (laughs) um so so yeah it's smart really needs to step into that role i think and be that uh that playmaker i don't know if his jumper or at least from behind the three-point line i don't know if that's going to be even at league average this year but I mean, if it ever gets there, he'll be an extremely valuable basketball player. You know, uh, Brad Stevens, uh, as a coach, you know, is as someone who obviously covers the Celtics. I mean, you know, how good of a coach is he? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I would be really hard pressed to come up with two coaches who are better two or three coaches who are better um you know just based on what he gets out of his players the positions he puts players in to succeed uh the fact that the the celtics had a top five defense last year the fact that they made the playoffs uh two years ago when they they traded for isaiah thomas no one thought that that would happen uh so I think he's, I mean, I think he's a genius. <laughs> I think he's a, a tremendous basketball coach. I would probably put Popovich and just off the top of my head, maybe Rick Carlisle ahead of him. Just guys who really have their, play, they come out with prepared teams, teams that uh, play hard every possession. They're smart, disciplined. Uh, and uh, really, he really understands his personnel and kind of how to extract and maximize the skills uh, on his roster. And you know, one it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, Al Horford is, I think, maybe by far the best player he's ever coached. 
he obviously coached Gordon Hayward, but he was in college. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how, uh, if Al Horford maybe even has the best year of his career this year, something like that would not surprise me at all. I, I, yeah, I do find it pretty amazing that he managed to have a top five defense last year with Jared Sullinger playing the fifth most minutes on the team. Like that's a, a just a pretty incredible feat. I mean, I love everyone loves uh, this is a very this is a Bomani Jones thing, but everybody loves the chubby baller and everyone loves Jared <laughs> Sullinger. But I mean, the, having that guy like anchoring your defense and like out there just like Amazing. I love it. That's how good of a coach Brad Stevens is. It's just he he like I mean Sullinger is good, knows is a smart defender, knows where to be, but still, I mean, a top five NBA defense with that guy. Like that's insane to me. Yeah, and you know, having the uh I guess the balls to kind of take Marcus Smart and be like, okay, you're defending Kristaps Porzingis for the next five minutes or in the playoffs. Uh, you're defending Paul Millsap, who has like 45 points on us right now, and Marcus Smart going out and getting the job done in little spurts against guys who are much, much bigger than him. And I mean, that's a testament to Smart's strength and his defensive abilities. But I mean, not a lot of coaches would would really be brave enough or bold enough to make calls like that. And he does stuff like that all the time. And he he's very. Uh, I don't want to be like corny, but he like around Boston right now. A lot of people are making the Bill Belichick comparisons to Brad Stevens, and uh, just kind of their demeanors, their even keel, the way they uh, approach things game to game. And they, I mean, Brad Stevens would not talk about expectations, or he was asked like five straight times in his presser yesterday about um, uh, expected win totals and and cracking the first round of the playoffs, getting to the second round. He won't talk about any of that stuff. And he, I mean, he, I, I don't think he thinks about any of that stuff, to be honest with you. He's just so laser-like focused on the next day and getting better every day. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's uh, pretty amazing that he's already getting compared to Belichick uh, despite – not having won a playoff series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know that the, the Celtics have not been that talented, so I know it's not a reflection on his coaching. He's done a lot with, you know, at least what we all perceive as to be very little. And, like, you know, he turned Jay Crowder from a guy who was a throw in in the Rondo trade to a guy who people say could have been an all star last year, you know, and Isaiah Thomas was an all star. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I do think he is a really great coach and obviously has a ton of respect from a lot of people. Um, yeah, both these teams really do have, you know, solid coaches. I wonder how each one would coach or how each one would play with the other one's coach. Yeah, I, that's a really good, uh, hypothetical that I've never really thought about. Um, thinking about, Stevens with uh, talents like Lillard McCall. <laughs> yeah, that's just diabolical. Like no, nothing against Terry Stotts, who I, I love, and he's one of my favorite coaches in the league for sure. Um, 
but yeah, that would be very fun to see, I think. And, and the way that that team has been constructed with, uh, the way that the Blazers can play, uh, small or big, um, and they're very versatile as well. So it would be really cool to see what Stevens could do with that talent. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that, you know, I feel like with Terry Stotts, you know, guys that just play on the perimeter, I, I, I don't know what it is. They just, I don't know, like they just get better and I like, they just have this freedom to, and I, I feel like Stevens does like let guys play too. Um, but I feel like, you know, a lot of those things that Stotts is really good at um, would, you know, really still also carry over, you know, with, having a guy like Isaiah Thomas, you know, I, he would be great in like a Stotts system with like the flow and all that stuff. Like Isaiah Thomas moving off the ball, dribble handoffs, like uh, it'd be pretty fun to watch too. But uh, definitely Brad Stevens coaching the Blazers would be insane too. Uh, but, you know, wh- where do you see this Boston team? I, I, I think, what, what was the over-under for them, 48? Uh, no, they won 48 last year. I think the over-under right now is 51. 50, 51, okay. Yeah. 51 so 51 and a half 51 or 51 and a half i'm not positive do they you think they're gonna hit the over i'm i'm thinking yeah (laughs) um i mean the toronto raptors won 56 last year and i kind of think that this team will either be right there or maybe even probably right there i don't want to say too much better than 56 because that's a lot of wins and the Raptors were really good last year but um I think that they'll be they'll definitely be over 51 if they can uh you know if uh, health pending uh but the thing about the Celtics is they're so deep just about everywhere um except the wing ironically uh but you know if Jalen Brown does anything this year uh, my expectations for him are like rock bottom i don't expect him to do anything but if he's you know they were all the players um yesterday at media day were really complimenting him and his athleticism and his upside and um his intelligence um, and his physical abilities on the defensive end so if he contributes uh as a rookie then i think you know i think this team could be pretty special especially on the defensive end yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I I think they present so many problems, and you know, just getting to see them uh, when they came to Portland last year, just the way that they defend on the perimeter is something that is pretty. Is you know, it's one of the my favorite experiences in the league is just watching the Celtics guards defend. Uh, they're extremely good. They're extremely sound. They can also you know rip the ball from you. They're not just you know technically sound defenders they'll also take the ball away and i i I love watching those guys play and when they played portland last year that was uh those were some some good matchups or at least the one in portland was i think i don't think the one in boston ended too well uh for the blazers but uh i think both teams should be uh should both be pretty good i mean what do you what do you think about the blazers outlook i mean I, they're a pretty deep team, I think, and you know they have guys that are too deep in kind of the same types of roles. Uh, you know, you have 
Harkless and Aminu who may play together, but also kind of fill that same ability to guard one through four at times uh, with Harkless, you know, being like that small ball four. Uh, you know, they have Turner and Crab. They have Lillard and McCollum. Uh, Myers Leonard, Mason Plumley, Ed Davis, all, you know, centers that can do something really well. Um, where do you see them ending up uh, in the Western Conference this year? So what is their – do you know their over-under at the top of your head? 46 and a half. Okay. I would – just because they're in the West, I would – ooh, that's, that's really tough. They won uh, 44 games last year. Yeah. Um, and I can't even push. I would say <laughs> – I'll take the, the over because I'm feeling – I'm feeling like I'm in a very good mood right now. But um, I – I like Portland. Uh, I think that they, you know, they, I don't want to say they overachieved because that's not nice, but. Uh, you could say that though. I mean. Th- okay. Nobody, well, I mean. Nobody expected them to be that good. Like it's just. No, it is, definitely The team, def- the people, the people that constructed the team didn't even think they were going to be that good. Definitely not. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the recency bias, if that's what you want to call it, with how their season ended with, uh, them defeating the Clippers after Blake Griffin and Chris Paul went down and then uh, really playing the the Golden State Warriors tough uh, mostly because of Steph Curry's injury and I think Draymond got a little nicked up in that series um, so I don't want to take anything away from Portland uh, but I, I think that the way their season ended has kind of People thinking that they might be a little better than they are. Uh, then again, they you know continuity is something I definitely believe in, and they're basically bringing. I mean, Myers Leonard didn't play a whole lot last year, uh, so they're basically bringing him in. They're bringing almost everybody back. They're adding Evan Turner, who we just talked about, who I think is uh, you know he can bring some value to that team. Things elements that they didn't have last year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll win a playoff series, uh, but I think they're, they're a playoff team. Yeah, I think the West is is, is just going to be like that, especially when everyone's healthy, if everyone's healthy. Uh, and, you know, I think, yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, obviously, I think the Warriors are going to be the best team, and then I would have the Clippers as the second best team, and then I would have the Spurs third. And then, oh, Clippers over Spurs, eh? Yeah, just because I feel like they, first of all, Doc has done a pretty decent job filling out the like back end of the roster with the minimum guys. I think he's been pretty decent. And then I do think too, like this, like I don't know if it's going to happen, but I feel like they have like a there's like a little something like 2011 Mavs about the Clippers. Mm-hmm. In the sense that they're all these guys that have been so close but have never gone, and they they all they like had their moment as like they were gonna do it, and now everyone's like ah probably not like, and I'm not saying that they're gonna win the West, but I feel like they have a chance to be like you know one of the top two teams and you know make the conference finals and you know push the Warriors because I feel like you know they're so talented and I feel like CP3 doesn't have many more uh, uh, goes at it. No, I agree with you there. I, I'm kind of forgetting about some of the players they signed. Most Spades, Bass, Bass, who was probably the best player 
on the Lakers last year, low-key. <laughs> um, and Felton, who, you know, Felton and Allen Anderson. Okay, so, yeah, they they actually have some players who I did not remember. But, I mean, they're still, I think they're weak a little bit on the wing. Um, and this isn't really a quantifiable numbers thing, but I feel like, you know, they could be like the 2011 um, uh, Mavs, or they could be like one of those teams that just kind of fades and or, or implodes because of, uh, you know, they've been together so long. And it could be like a here we go again situation if, if they get a hit a bump in the road or um, Blake suffers a, another injury or CP goes down for a little while or Reddick goes down because, I mean, Reddick's not young, Paul's not young, um, Jamal Crawford's not young, so I don't know. I, I can go back and forth with them, and then when I look at the Spurs, I feel like, I don't know, I feel a lot of things. I feel like Kawhi Leonard could be one of the best, like, he could hit at even a higher level, uh, just based on watching him in the playoffs last year and kind of his, his uh, limitations offensively. Uh, with regards to his playmaking ability and I feel like he's a kind of guy who just you know stays in the gym he's in the gym literally at this very moment improving on his on his skill set so um and he's my favorite player in the league so, so I, I I don't know if the drop-off how, or how much the drop-off from Duncan to Gasol defensively will hurt and they obviously lost Diaw um so yeah I mean It'll be interesting between those two teams battling out for the second spot, but I definitely agree that the Warriors are, are number one, of course. Yeah, and then I feel like after that, I feel like the consensus from everyone right now is Utah. Yeah, I, I'm a big Utah guy. I just love I love everything about them for some reason. Yeah, you know, I, I really felt that way last year. Um, and this is, you know, Exum was hurt, obviously. Um, but it just seemed like to me, you know, I really liked Rodney Hood. And I, but they, you know, they just didn't. Yeah, they had all these little injuries here and there. Like Derek Favors is sleeping on his stomach, and you know, has back problems because of it. You know, it, it, it's just like, you know, all these things, and you know, then they get handed games basically. Like, you know, they're playing the Clippers reserves, and Austin Rivers and Jamal Crawford, you know, beat them single handedly when they have the full squad, and it's like. You know, so many times I was like, come on, Utah. So, like, I don't know if I trust Utah yet. Like, they got to earn my trust before I'm putting them in the top four after not making the playoffs last year. That's definitely fair. I think they lost a lot of close games. And, you know, adding, I think the George Hill addition is just such a huge upgrade over their point guard situation last year. Oh, yeah. No more no more Haul Neto. Yeah, exactly. And... Uh, I think the offensive pressure on Gordon Hayward will be lessened with, you know, Alec Burks is back. I think Rodney Hood will be a better player. The addition of um, Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson, who he looked pretty good in Miami last year. I mean, I was willing to, I thought he was all washed up uh, when he left Brooklyn, but he looked pretty good in Miami. Um, and uh, they just have a lot of nice, smart players, and they're kind of like they remind me of like the San Antonio Spurs little brother with the just so much international flavor, and mm-hmm. um, except they're younger, and you know Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors is one of the best defensive front courts in the league, probably the best. Uh, Trey Lyles is super interesting and could 
uh, you know, improve on his from his rookie year. So I like a lot of the, the things about this team, and I think they're totally different than than last year, just because of the Hill additions and, and more veteran additions to really kind of complement the younger players. Yeah, those those additions are really. Yeah, those were some of the best uh, this entire offseason. The George Hill thing is great because it also allows it's valuable not only in the fact that he's an upgrade to you know having Raul Neto or any any of the you know guys that they had rotated in at point guard. Uh, it also helps buy more time for Exum to get one hundred percent. And yeah, and I think Joe Johnson still can can you know he can make it he can you know still shoot the ball. And uh, score a little bit, and he was pretty solid with Miami. Miami was, you know, pretty solid to close the year. Um, and you know, then you know, you look at, uh, excuse me, Diaw, and uh, Diaw, you know, obviously he's on the back end, but can still do all the Boris Diaw things. And you know, they have a potential to like put out some lineups of guys that can just make plays. Yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of Boris Diaz's game, uh, specifically when he has his back to the basket and he's just kind of peeking over his shoulder. and Using his big butt to just back <laughs> people down. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but I have, a, I have a question, just going back to the Blazers really quick, I have a quick question for you. So what are your thoughts on kind of their long-term outlook because we talked about this year and they look good this year, but you know, I don't, I don't know if they have a lot of flexibility to improve. I don't think they have cap space the next two or three years. Um, so what, how, how does this team get better? Is this core good enough to reach the conference finals at some point? Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Are you, are you nervous about it or, I mean, it's going to be hard to get to the conference finals, no matter who you are uh, in this conference. But, you know, and in just the NBA in general. And I I think that this team does have a unique attack. And obviously it's by necessity, but I do think it's not like smoke and mirrors as to like how it works. I think Lillard and McCollum are both really good. You know, they're both still pretty young. Uh, You know, Lillard just turned 26. So it's not like and, – and he's a little bit older than McCollum. So they're both – they both still have a, a lot of time uh, of like you know potential prime careers. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that those two guys can really create a lot. And then with the rest of the – with regards to the rest of the roster, obviously you know, they're capped out. They are going to be paying the luxury tax. But some of the pluses about that is that they have until you – know, I think they have like – this season they're not going to pay the luxury tax. Then the next season they will. So that's two seasons. And then on that third season is when they have to pay the repeater tax. And so they basically have two and a half seasons to figure out, you know, who is going to stay here and who can we part ways with to get some flexibility or to, you know, get an asset for, you know, a couple of guys. Because I think I think the one thing that Portland has excelled at um, in the you know, with regards to the rest of the leagues, they've really done a good job of developing a lot of young guys. Obviously, you know, some don't develop and they don't stick, 
and they go, you know, back to Europe or whatever. But, you know, a lot of guys that have come through Portland's program, you know, as, as a lot of these teams like to refer it to, you know, refer to it as, uh, you know, have improved and have improved their stock and gotten higher salaries. And I do think that, you know, they will attract some interest because people are starting to respect that. I think, and, you know, may value their assets more and be able to trade them for someone, you know, someone else or just to create some more cap space if they need to, or maybe even, you know, package three good players for a really good player, you know, uh, something like that. I do think there are paths to improvement, um, but I think those paths will be sparked by internal improvement, which you can, you know, you don't really know about. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, Going back to Terry Stotts, I remember reading uh, in an interview with uh, Aminu, I think, early last season when he was talking about the freedom uh, Stotts afforded him, and then he ended up shooting like 36% behind the three-point line last year. And, you know, a lot is made about Portland's culture, and that is such a difficult thing to... Uh, create and they clearly have a positive culture they're moving in the right direction uh lillard appears to be a natural born leader and um uh, another thing about evan turner uh you know so many guys at celtics media day talked about how they're gonna miss him in the locker room and um his leadership qualities i personally think he's the funniest player uh, person in the NBA uh, he's just absolutely a hilarious dude so uh, I think he'll kind of help that dynamic and make it even better and that's a, a young impressionable team still which we kind of forget just because of the success they had last year and how long Lillard's been in the league but um, yeah I, I, I personally am a little more um, uh, pessimistic just looking at their cap sheet now and and the just the long-term outlook it, it seems a little more bleak than you know I was, i'm thinking about zach lowe's piece in the blazers from a couple months ago uh and and kind of what they were thinking is potentially rising as the spurs fall the clippers fall uh, and then whatever happens with the Warriors, uh, and that's maybe a, a situation where they could sneak in. Um, but I don't know, man. Um, I'm a big flex, keep everything flexible kind of kind of guy. Right. I mean, but not you know, not all teams can have a cap sheet like the Celtics do, or you know, and or have you know that many incoming picks, you know. And I think. The Blazers have done a good job of they maintained flexibility until there came a point where, you know, their team was going to cost money. I think they all knew that because I feel like, you know, I mean, Golden State obviously has just, you know, a ridiculous, you know, story where, you know, they get Steph Curry to take a $44 million uh, extension and it allows the end, you know, all these contracts that they get allow them to get Kevin Durant and you know it would be great in a perfect world but at the same time Portland isn't really going to get that type of free agent they're just not it hasn't happened so you know I feel like in some ways where Portland is as as a market at the same time also plays in the fact that you know like hey you know we've got to pony up when we have something good because you know 
it's not like they can really afford to like, you know, wait for something else that's going to, that they know for sure is going to be better because obviously, you know, you know, we've gone through that here too in Portland, like where those promises go unfulfilled. Like, I feel like, I feel like they've got to be, you know, in some way cognizant of the fact that, you know, being, I think a lot of teams are cognizant of that, that like being really good is okay. And I feel like that's where the Blazers are right now. Yeah, that's a good point. And you see that a lot around the league. Kind of in like a, I've been thinking about this a lot lately about how we didn't really see anybody really purposefully tank in this post-hinky NBA this offseason. And it's really interesting because, you know, everyone's talking about how this upcoming draft is filled with these franchise players, like five franchise players, and no one's going in the opposite directions. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I also found it interesting that um, uh, Will Smith was having uh, dinner with the the Sixers. And I was also – this is definitely a big tangent, but uh, that, uh, you know, I was wondering to myself, you know, what if the process, you know, included, you know, some Scientology? Do you think Hinky would still be around? <laughs> definitely. No, no question about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I tried to make a joke. Don't say I didn't try. You, you miss 100% <laughs> of the shots that you don't take. That's right, Eric. That's right. I know that's why all of y'all come to the Lockdown Blazers podcast. Uh, any any last words on the podcast, Michael, uh, about the Celtics or the Blazers or anything you want to say about the upcoming NBA season that you're excited about? Uh, I'm excited for everything. I love the NBA, and this offseason has felt has this offseason felt extra long to you? It ha- it has to me. I don't know why, if it's because I'm so excited to see, you know, Horford on the Celtics and so many players change teams, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that, Durant on the Warriors. Um, I don't know what it is, but this offseason was, like, grueling. Might have been because the season ended so crazily. Like it because it was just the most incredible finish to an NBA season that I can ever remember, really. Like, I mean, the way that ended to me was way better than when like the Lakers and Celtics went to a game seven or you know, the, the even the one with the Heat and the Spurs. <laughs> I mean, I think about, yeah, I think about the block basically every day. I, I said, that, I said <laughs> not, no, that's not a lie. Like I, I'm, I'm there, man. No, and I was about to say, I, I, I think about it, I'm on, whenever I'm on the treadmill and, you know, I look at the time and I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted and I want to run for another two minutes, but I, I'm like, just screw this, I want to just turn this thing off, step off, I'm done. I think about the block and I'm like, if LeBron James can play like 45 minutes of basketball, game seven, and then sprint down the court and do that then I'm, I'm staying on this treadmill. Like, don't be a baby about it. Motivational material. He, he's, a, he's an inspiration, man. For real. That was, that three, one comeback. Yeah. No. Very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. No, it was, it was crazy. Um, but, uh, Michael, uh, tell the folks where they can find your stuff, uh, where they can follow you, uh, all that good stuff, uh, for the listeners. So I am on Twitter at Michael V. Pina, P-I-N-A, and um, 
most of my stuff I'm writing, I'm covering the Celtics or Bleacher Report this season. Uh, but everything else that I write, uh, you can find on Twitter. So, yep, that's that's basically my big plug. Nice. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking Celtics. Thanks for talking ET and just NBA in general. I'm excited that the season's back, man. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll catch you later. And thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Eric. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.